Temple deals with the growing scandal over its business school rankings. What is it going to cost in terms of reputation and in terms of money? Let's get the inside story. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. I'm Tamala Edwards. Let's introduce you to the panel. We will start with nonprofit exec George Burrell. Morning, please. GOP State Chair Val DiGiorgio. Good morning. Journalist Larry Platt. Good morning. And I got a new friend, political <laughs> strategist Allison Young. Welcome. Thanks, Tamala. All right, let's talk about Temple, which is a sponsor of the show. In January, U.S. News & World Report took the unusual step of dropping Temple's online MBA program from its rankings. It had been number four for four, number one for four years straight. Temple hired an outside firm, and this week they dropped a bombshell. They said it wasn't just the online MBA. Three other MBA programs, two masters, one bachelor program. Mm -hmm. In all cases, the ratings are suspect. So they fired the dean of the business school. They've got somebody new, and they've certified the 2018-2019 rankings. But you start with, is this going to be enough? Well, the question is, what else can you do? You have to make sure you put in the proper protocols in place so this doesn't happen again. Interestingly enough, a few years ago, the dean, who did a great job with the Fox School of Business, and I'm a Fox School of Business alumni, by the way, so in the interest of full disclosure, did a great job with the school, but he dropped all those protocols, and it became, mm -hmm. there were no checks and balances on that. So you need to have checks and balances on that. It's really a shame for, you know, as a, as a father who's now going through the process of you know, visiting colleges myself and figuring out what mm -hmm. colleges my kids should go to, to not be able to think you can rely on those numbers. The one thing that I was really troubling in there was how much debt you leave the school with, which yeah. is a big number we all look at these days. And that was that was uh, uh, lied about, too. So uh, more needs to be done. I give a lot of credit to the administration for doing what they've done so far, but I think there's still more need to be done to restore confidence. I think it's important to understand how much of a big business this ranking system is. And I don't know that people that are outside of higher ed have, you know, an insight into that. Universities spend tens of thousands of dollars investing in PR campaigns, um, uh, boosting the reputations of their faculty and their deans, and things like this can be crushing to the reputation of the school. It's really a shame. So do you think it will affect who's applying and who chooses to go? Uh, you know, I, I'm a Penn grad, but I'm a big fan of big five schools. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I know Joanne Epps real well, and she is a person of integrity and, and honesty. And I assume she'll provide some leadership to this. And I think Temple has a great alumni base. It has a great reputation, what Peter Lee, of course, and others have built over there. And I think, like Penn State, they'll move beyond this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a great institution that people love, and it contributes so much to this city in terms of the talent and people who are around it. This is an issue. It's a self-inflicted issue, mm -hmm. but they'll get past Larry, it. Larry, let's talk about this aspect of it. The Department of Education, Josh Shapiro with the state probe, two accrediting agencies, and I think this is the most dangerous one. A number of students are suing. There's something called the borrower's defense. If they find Temple liable, they can say, I shouldn't have to pay back these student loans because what I bought isn't what you gave me. And then Temple could be left with that bill. Yeah, it's basically suing over, over false advertising. Um, that's, a, that's a real concern. The bigger concern for me, and by the way, Allison's right there, uh, as a magazine person, uh, U.S. News & World Report would not exist were it not for this, <laughs> these boondoggles. Uh, 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 it saved that publication, the, these rankings. Um, the bigger issue for me, I agree with George, that, that Temple is an amazing institution and a great corporate citizen, uh, but there is a pattern here of, that points to some governance issues. The firing of the president, the, the, uh, the miscommunication with the neighborhood over the football stadium. Mm -hmm. there, there, there's, there's, there, more attention needs to be paid to the details, it seems to me. Do you think that Peratt is the end of it, that that's the last person or this thing grows and somebody else ends up having to step down? I think it, when you have 
all these people now turning over rocks, all these institutions and, the, the, as you said, the state attorney general's office, who knows? And that's the danger. Because I guess my question was, could one person essentially be to blame for all that information not being correct? Well, when they, when they took away those safeguards, those protocols, mm. uh, it, it appears to be that there was one person who was then making the communications with the, with the publication, the U U.S. News. So hopefully this is the end of it. If it's not, I'm sure Temple will do the right thing. Okay, well, let's talk about somebody else having some difficulties, another organization near and dear to those of us in the area. That's the Miss America organization. Big news when they came out and said, we're not going to have a competition. We're going to have a competition, not a pageant. Candidates, not contestants. We're going to completely change this thing. No more swimsuit. Evening gown only if you want to. Well, 22 states are saying they want the board and leadership. You're looking at Gretchen Carlson, a former Miss America, who's now assumed leadership. They want them to step down. They say they weren't told the truth about the swimsuit competition. They were told it won't be broadcast if we don't get rid of it. They said that's not true. They say there's some changes coming to the contracts, that people are being told, sign it, but you could be fired at will. That's right. new. Mm -hmm. Scholarship money, which is the reason many of these ladies say they get into it, you get it if it's there. And so a number of people, including former Miss New Jersey's Suzette Charles, Kate Schindel, are saying this thing's about to blow. Are they going to make it across the next six weeks to even get to the broadcast? Well, some of this has been um, resistance to change. They've made, it's not the best management style, I think, coming in with a, a relatively, there are a number of people that are new on the board. There's a lot of change, and a lot of this is just resistance to change. But I think some of the complaints are legitimate because people enter the pageant system when they're uh, in their early teens. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, in the, um, the, the competition, we're not pageants anymore, That's right. right? They enter the system in their <laughs> early teens. And to make all of these drastic changes all at once can really impact the lives of some of these candidates. Contestants, where are we? Are they candidates now? Contestants. Some of them want to be can contestants, right. others want to be candidates. You know, who have been planning and working towards both their academic goals and their physical fitness goals for years. Does this come down to whether or not it's a ratings blockbuster? If people watch, all this goes away. If people don't watch, kaboom. Well, I, I think there's a bigger issue. I think that, that you know, professional sports became what it was when the owners began to understand that the most important component of it were the players. And hmm. they began to treat them with respect. What's happened here is this new leadership seems to be operating in a vacuum, right. and they seem to be more focused on the program than on the contestants. And what makes the program, why people watch it, is not the program. They watch it because of the contestants. And they haven't included other people on the board. I think some of it is a resistance to change, but they've made that change without communication and without cooperation. Well, to that end, if people s step down or quit with six weeks to go, that's not going to help them. Can they turn this ship in a month and a half? I, I, I take e an even broader perspective, which is I don't know why anyone cares about the Miss America pageant anymore. I mean, I just feel like it feels like a yesteryear kind of thing, particularly in this Me Too moment. Uh, and and it, it's always kind of creeped me out a little bit. Like, like why are we watching this? Uh, because it, and, You were never a little and, girl. And the debate, I was never a little girl. It's a scholarship competition. Yeah, yeah but, that, but that's not why people watch. I, I just, I, I just uh, all you need to know is that the, the, the big backer of this prior to his current job was Donald Trump. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't watch it. It's not a big thing. But I have a niece who grew right. up in that world. And it continues to be important to her to this day because of the friends she developed, the relationships she developed, and the skills that she developed. I do think there would be some people emotionally that if it, it, it had had its ups and downs recently, right. if it was really to tank would be upset. You, you would think that was such a fundamental change to the, the pageant that has such a storied history, and I agree, it is a little, it seems a little outdated when I watch it too, but that they would 
they would get more buy-in and have rolled it out a little bit better. And um, can it come back from this? I don't know if it can, if they're going to continue on its present course. A lot of people like to watch it for the swimsuit competition and the rest, but it does seem like a throwback to me, too. I agree with that. Okay, let's talk about another back and forth, Made in America. We're getting rid of it. This is the last year. It's going to go somewhere else. Jay-Z says, oh, no, and Mayor Kinney says, okay, fine, you can stay. It turns out there have been... I guess a polling, some sort of report done, neighbors on the parkway. 19 events are regularly held along the parkway, and for some reason, this particular event, they said, we want to get rid of this one. First of all, was Mayor Kinney right to come back so quickly and say, no, 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 fine, we'll keep MIA where it is? Well, I, I think they've, they've handled the communication on both end of, ends of it poorly. They handled the first communication where they really didn't communicate with Jay-Z and MIA folks uh, to tell them that they were going to shut it down, said they should have read their contract. And then once they reversed themselves, they did not communicate well with, with the community. But at the end of the day, Made in America is like having the NFL draft or the Pope here every year. I mean, it, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's, it brings in a diverse audience, even a different audience than Welcome America. And for as a destination city, it really does put us on the map. Is it fair to the people who see a racial component that they thought they picked it because it's, it's turned into a more urban event? Well, I think that, look, I, I think it's a very, as George said, a very diverse event. And I think it's, it's, it's misleading to, to, to label it urban. Um, the, the other thing, look, I, I, maybe I see this everywhere, but I, when, I, when I saw... In, when uh, when Mayor Kenny first, or when his administration first announced that they were going to move it, um, uh, the first criticism of that was from the stagehands, and I thought, oh, uh, if if labor is wants it here, Jim Kenny's going to going to have it here, and right. that's what happened. Yeah, that was my first thought too, and um, was about what were the unions going to say about it? The second thought was. You know, growing up in South Philly, I remember they put the stadiums again downtown and the neighborhood complained. And so we, you know, put up with, you know, 10 football games a year and three, you know, three a week baseball games, sometimes four. And it seemed like a bunch of whiners to me there on the parkway. So <laughs> I, I mean, get in also, trouble if for you, that. If you but, buy a house there, but, you kind of know. Well, that's the other thought It's I the had. city's front yard. In Chester County, there's a lot of developments that go in near the farms. And people then buy these developments where farms have been for generations. Then they complain about the noise and the step and the stink. Well, you, you, move, you moved into that neighborhood. You knew that was there. But look, a city like Philadelphia needs to have world-class events for this. I also thought that Jim Kenney might have been playing a little Donald Trump in the negotiation to try to get some concessions. Uh, from, but I, I didn't see any concessions made. I, I agree that people who, who move to the parkway understand that events take there. But they have grown over the years. Yeah. They, they, you, when, you, when you move there, when I lived, I lived on the parkway many years ago. There may be four events. Mm -hmm. Now they're 19. And there's, there's no telling how many. There's no always more, more to the story here, too. Right. You know, George, you and I don't agree a lot on the show, but I agree <laughs> with you on this one. The communication on this was pretty bad. And it's my understanding right. that it was over a year ago that the city originally told part of the Rock Nation production team that it wasn't going to happen on the parkway. Right. And then they um, didn't communicate that well internally. This right. all blows up, and now it becomes a problem for the Kennedy administration. Right. Let's talk about something else where you guys may not agree. <laughs> Connor Lamb, out of Democrat, out of Pittsburgh. Mammoth is out with a poll. Boy, 51% for Connor Lamb, a Democrat, in a district that usually goes Republican. His opponent, Keith Rothfuss, is at 39%. And the question is, is this a one-off? There are a lot of strange things about this race, right. about this district. Or is this something else that Republicans as a whole need to get nervous about in terms of Pennsylvania? Yeah, I, I like to get nervous about 
every race, just so make sure <laughs> we get the place, and that's my Stay challenge. paranoid. Yeah, uh, Connor Lamb wants to continue to try to run in this middle ground uh, as if he's a conservative, and uh, we're going to... It seems to be working. Well, we, we haven't gotten the message out yet about him. So he said he would vote against Nancy Pelosi, but he, vote, he votes with her 90% of the time. Um, and the numbers are trending in the right direction. Keith... Keith is raising the money. He hasn't gone up on media yet. He's a good congressman, represents that district well. Um, that'll be a tight race. I, I think Connor Lamb is one of those people who fits that district well. He just won in it, so he's run in the exact landscape that he's running in now. And at the end of the day, he's a guy who you could put actually an R or a D behind his name. And if he had an R behind his name, Val would be saying different things about it today. So, <laughs> I know Keith Roffis really well. I worked with the congressman uh, in the Bush administration. We've been friends for years, and he's been a darn good congressman, and that should actually matter in this district. Um, and as Val said, he's not up on TV yet, but it's also the only district now because of the um, gerrymandering ruling where mm -hmm. we have two incumbents running against one another. So as political sport, it's really fun to watch, but I think uh, the congressman will... will Talk about political sport. Out. Mike Pence was here yeah. this week. Next week, Donald Trump will be here as Axios is reporting that Uncle Joe is starting to sound more and more Joe Biden, like he's going to jump in the race. Trump has said, oh, let him come. It would be my favorite. But they're saying secretly, last person he wants, he wants an Elizabeth Warren, somebody very different from himself. Is, are we starting to see in these visits that they're thinking Pennsylvania is the state to come to, that we could be ground zero as uh, we're looking at 2020? They do think that. I've been to the White House and talked to the president about it. They know how important Pennsylvania is. They'll be here again and again. But the president is fully committed to Lou Barletta. And um, that has its pros and its cons. I can tell you upstate, that's a great thing. We've, we have the president coming into Wilkes-Barre next week. I'm going to emcee the event. Uh, tickets are already sold out for the event and for the, for the fundraiser we're having before it. So they Do know how important that is. to lift Barletta? Oh, he's going to give a big lift to Barletta. Will be enough? We'll see. But he's going to give a big lift to Barletta. Right? It's amazing how different the two parts of the state are. When mm -hmm. I'm here, you get a totally different vibe here versus the rest of the state. And I spend a lot of time upstate. They really, the president's really popular upstate. Uh, you get west of Westchester, north of north As of ever Brooklyn. it was. Very, very popular. <laughs> you know, Tim, I'm sorry. Um, oh, the, the, both the Connor Lamb story and the discussion about who's going to be the Democratic nominee has, has real ramifications for Democrats as... as they try and figure out what they what they stand for, right? Mm -hmm. And whether they're going to be the party of Alexandria Ocasio, very different from or, Connor Lamb, or Connor Lamb, right? And and that's where look, Bernie Sanders endorsed two uh, uh, congressional candidates in this region, and both lost. Uh, uh, Rich Laser and uh, uh, the, the the guy up in Lehigh Valley. Um, and that should be a warning sign to Democrats that the center is actually where uh, w what's going to make a difference. But, you know, George, we've got three people running around in the suburbs around here who are a lot closer to Alexandria Ocasio than they are to Connor Lamb. What is the message there? Well, I, I think the message is, is driven to a district. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's Connor Lamb's message works where he does. The New York woman, her message works where they do. And Democrats have to embrace that all. I think at the end of the day, Donald Trump believes he's immune. I mean, I don't, I don't think he feels threatened by anybody. I think the Republican Party itself, though, understands that if they lose the House or the Senate in these upcoming elections and Very Donald Trump world. becomes unhinged, it is a longer-term problem for Republicans who might start losing some of the state houses that they control. It is a ripple effect in 2020. Donald Trump himself is not loyal to Republicans. He's only loyal to who's loyal to him.
All right. Welcome back to Inside Story. I'm Tamala Edwards. Let's jump across the river to New Jersey. The state attorney general doing something interesting in response to a report out of one of the localities that questioned how minorities were being treated in terms of prosecutions for marijuana possession. He said, let's just have a pause. I'll get back to you in about six weeks on what we're going to do here. And some people are, are questioning, is he going to come out in September and say, you know what, we are just decriminalizing marijuana. What is your guess, your thought on what he's going to do? What's this six weeks about? I don't know what he's uh, going to do. My hope is that, that there's a move towards decriminalization as a libertarian. Uh, and uh, I, I favor decriminalization. You look at Colorado, which is funding schools with, with the proceeds. Uh, and also, there have been 17 studies done, including one by the National Academies of the Sciences uh, at the behest of Richard Nixon, and he didn't want this result, that found that marijuana is not a gateway drug. Uh, and you look at all the, the marijuana arrests that are clogging up the system. So my hope is that we that the people are much more out ahead of the politicians on decriminalizing marijuana. Okay, so if the people are out in front of the politicians, then why isn't this being done democratically? Like We have rule of law in this country. When prosecutors decide to willy-nilly, you know, it's not willy-nilly, but decide which laws they're going to prosecute, which crimes they're not, they take democracy into their own hands. So we've seen this time and time again, especially from the left, which does that through through the courts and through the administrative process, which they can't do from the ballot box. That undermines democracy, turns it on its head. Let's have the debate in the New Jersey General Assembly. You know, wait, George, he, does he not have a point? People decide, Governor what Murphy. Laws, people decide what laws to support all the time. Prosecutors decide what they're going to put priorities on all the time. But this wouldn't be better coming what, out of the state house in terms of a bill here, saying let's do this? The reason he's done it here is there's a Senate bill that's in play in New Jersey, which they would hope to get passed, Within the next several, which they, which they would democracy. hope, there seems, but but it seems to me to be reasonable, not to put criminal records on young people if there's going to be legislation within the next six weeks or so that changes that. All he's done is say, let's hold it for six weeks. He didn't say, let's never never prosecute them, let's never put them in jail if they've done something wrong or fine them. He said, let's hold and see what happens. And the governor's against it also. Allison, it feels as though the trend line here, though, is going in this direction. The polling, everything seems to suggest that many people think. Minor possession of marijuana, uh, you know, we see the whole idea of medical marijuana blowing up, people wanting this. It's, they're just kind of leading where we're kind of going anyway. I mean, that's true. I just came back from Colorado, and, you know, they have little amnesty boxes at the airport where, you know, people that have bought <laughs> recreational products can just, you know, dump them before they get on a plane and go back to where it's illegal. But, you know, did what you Val... I did not. But, you know, what Val said cannot be underscored enough. We can't just willy-nilly decide, oh, this t today we're going to follow this law, and today we're not. Like, what are we... How are people supposed to understand what's right and what's wrong and what they're going to be prosecuted for and what's not if it's just up to somebody to randomly decide? This has to work its way through the New Jersey Senate. This has to work its way through... Actually Actually, turning around the law before the attorney general can just say, eh, not today. It is really an oversight to not understand that prosecutors who are understaffed and overworked don't decide all the time what laws they are going to prosecute and which laws they are not going to prosecute. It happens in Republican administrations. It happens in it's Democratic wrong. administrations. We've seen it somewhat happen well, in the city. Tell you, don't, 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 but if you now. think it's wrong, then tell the Republicans who are doing it. Because you, you suggested in your comments that only Democrats do it uh, and only liberals this do This is something you see from the left. They go to the courts not, and say, help us do that which we cannot do through the ballot box. You either respect the Republican form of government or you don't. That's what everybody does in politics. As far as criminalization of marijuana, I don't know where I stand on it yet, but 
One thing that worries me is in Pennsylvania, we can't find people to be crane operators and to do welding jobs <coughs> and to drive tractors because they can't pass drug tests. Now we want to decriminalize marijuana. You want a guy well, who smoked last night? Well, would that not help if you well, decriminalize it? It wouldn't be a reason no, not no. to give them the job. The reason is you don't want a guy operating a crane who's stoned or was, you know, has THC in his system. You think so they're not smoking marijuana now? They should be, they should be tested. <laughs> okay. The unions test them. The unions will tell you all the time, George, in this town, they test somebody before they operate that crane because they don't want that crane falling on somebody's head. Right. So. Right. So these are the things that need to be considered before we go whole scale into decriminalizing marijuana. The other thing is, it's, it's the only thing that stops me from telling my kids right now, it's illegal. I don't want my kids smoking pot. Once you take that away, then the next thing is, well, it's not illegal. I don't have any, I really don't have any more arguments. Val, so, do you not know anybody when you were in school? It was illegal when you were in school. You're going to tell me you knew no, none of your friends smoking marijuana. Let's What's have a show of hands here. I'm staying out of this one. I have a morals clause in my contract. You're saying the reason your children don't do it because you can tell them it's illegal. Why do we well, want to send a message wholesale to our children? That this is something that I don't think you guys are going to agree on this issue. Very quickly, staying with the New Jersey State Attorney General. A blow up this week. Two radio hosts, 101 FM in New Jersey. Couldn't think of his name, so they said. So they referred to him, Dennis Malloy and Judy Franco, as Turban Man. Yeah. This has gotten them a 10-day suspension. The real question is, was this enough? And is there anybody who can defend what they said? I, I doubt it, but... No, I wouldn't defend that. That's, that's wrong. I think the radio station handled it properly. Is 10 days enough? We're, we're at a place, unfortunately, where this happens all the time. It's no longer an accident. It's intentional, and they believe that it's going to create economic opportunities for them. It's going to create a career path for them in a world that exists. It exists. This is America in a democracy. People have a right to do and say those things, but they think they're going to get a benefit out of it, and the punishment of 10 days is irrelevant. I think that's a, a, an important point. I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I actually believe you should be able to shout you should be able to shout fire in a crowded movie theater, okay. right? Uh, and let people and let people uh, uh, adults make their decisions based on that. Uh, but uh, there is no First Amendment right to have a radio show, <laughs> right? And and a, a a company can make that decision. Well, All right. Well, credit the attorney general handled it with class too. Instead of ratcheting it up and you know calling them racist, mm -hmm. you know he actually brought it back down. And I think that tone matters right now in politics. Right. Six ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. Blitzkrieg Inside Stories, George. Tim, you know I'm really into multicultural relationships, and I want to applaud Liz Dow and Leadership Inc., who probably talk to more current and future leaders in the city than another organization for their 60th anniversary are focused on building multicultural relationships. Val. Walked out of the VP event the other day. When I walked in, I was called a bigot and a racist, and I'm used to that. I, I hear it all the time from the left. But when I walk, walked out with Senator Scott Martin and his wife and their four kids, someone yelled out, I hope you die before you procreate to these four kids. And I think everyone needs to calm down on both sides. Calm down. We agree a lot more than we disagree on, and we're all Americans, and everyone needs to calm down. All right. Tam, Val asked me why I'm not wearing a tie. I read a piece, <laughs> I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, about the origin of tie wearing, and it was hygiene. So men could wipe their mouths after Aww. eating. And I figured, you know what? They've since invented the napkin, and that's where I'm going. <laughs> All right, good argument. Allison, last word. All the uh, news in higher ed locally this week isn't bad. There's uh, an exciting press conference coming up this week announcing some uh, important uh, advancements at Cheney. We're excited for Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks to all of you for being here. Thanks to you for joining us. That's it for Inside Story.